and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Kate Christie, I am so happy to be interviewing you for She's the Boss Chats after all these years of knowing you. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, lots of breakfast together. It's about time I interviewed you and told everyone how awesome you are. So welcome. Thank you. I am so happy to be on your podcast. I love this podcast. I'm not a huge podcast listener, but I do listen to this one. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. That's lovely of you. Okay, so let's tell everybody what it is that you're up to. Let's start off with what you're doing right now. Where's your focus right now? My focus right now is on my new book, which is um, being launched or it has launched by the time this this goes live. It's called The Life List. Yeah. Uh, master every yep. and live an audacious life. And I'm very heavily focused on uh, getting that book out and promoting it and talking all about it and also crafting my own life list and making sure I live this huge audacious life. So what is your life list? Tell, tell us a little bit more. So the, a life list is the exact opposite of a bucket list. A bucket list is okay. what do I want to do before I die? And it often involves, you know, adventure and travel. And I, I don't want to leave things off until just before I die. You know, so my life list is what do I want to do while I'm still young enough to enjoy it and live it and love it. And it was, you know, the, the idea for the life list was founded sort of from personal family yeah. tragedy in terms of, you know, life life is way too short. And it was a sort of a wake-up call for myself to make sure that I – set amazing goals right now today that I can implement and live um, but also it's a it's a call to action for women just like us to do exactly the same you know we're we're in our midlife um, where you know Forbes describes us as super consumers <laughs> we're the uh, healthiest wealthiest most educated uh, most energetic most enthusiastic women midlife women ever and we've got a lot of choice and you know, after decades of nurturing everybody else, Jules, it's our I turn. I couldn't agree with you more, it's Kate. Our turn. I couldn't agree with you more. And it is funny, and I would think that this will resonate with a lot of people because we are at that age in our fifties where our parents are very sick. Often, a lot of people are caring for their parents, um, and all it takes is yeah. that family tragedy. And in my case, when my dad died, and he was only sixty-three. And I remember coming mm. out of it going, you've got to live your life as if you might die tomorrow because you might. And, you you know, there's no point putting things off. There is exactly. no point saving up for a rainy day. It's time now to enjoy the late fruits of our labours, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can't put things off till later because later yeah. might be too yeah. late. Um, and and my, my tragedy or my family tragedy that sort of prompted the the writing of the life list was um, my um, ex-husband, um, so the father of my three Beautiful amazing kids. children. Um, yeah, thank you. As we entered into COVID, a month after COVID, restrictions started um he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and 11 months later he was gone um and he was 54 and you know it's so young and and having to kind of watch and nurture and care for my children through that process of them watching their father die and then losing him and the grief um you know it was brutal Jules it was it was a, a period of absolute agony and we're not even two years out of that and um you know so every day there's triggers and but it certainly was a real wake-up call for me you know I sort of see it someone said to me the other day you know it's almost like it was his final gift to me oh what a beautiful this way realization of looking at it. that 
Yeah, yeah, this this realisation that I want to live my life very, very differently from now on um, because life is too short. I'm not going to put stuff off till later. So, you know, the life list is about that. It's about um, understanding, you know, as women of our age, you know, we are going through a period of reflection and, and transformation anyway, you know. So true. Everyone's either perimenopausal <laughs> or menopausal or, Or thinking you know, about we, retirement got, or um, thinking about starting a business. I mean, all sorts next? of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. We are in a period, you know, some of us are empty nesting. Some of us are hoping to be empty nesting. You know, some of us don't have children, but we're looking to do things differently. We are, you know, we, we have the opportunity to redesign our lives right now. And, and that's what the book is about. It's a call to action to redesign your life and then it's a how-to, how to actually create your own life list, how to implement it so you actually get shit yep. done. And um, and 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 just that sort of I also share my life list so it's that sort of really joyful um, voyeuristic element in there as <laughs> and well. And there's nothing like printing it in a book to make <laughs> yourself accountable as well. <laughs> hundred percent Jules it's like oh my god it's out there I've yeah, got to do all right. this stuff but now. now talk to us a little bit as well because a lot of people will know you as the time styler and that's how I first met you so how does the life mm-hmm. list fit with the time styler yeah so look my my you know business time stylers um and I'm, I'm actually rebranding this year oh, just to Kate Christie good. um <laughs> yeah yeah um but time stylers and and I guess Kate Christie is all around smart time investment it's you know I've got a reputation for helping my clients find 30 hours of lost time a month and I teach them the practical strategies for being productive um, for being efficient and maximizing their time and and I guess the life list is a beautiful kind of next step from that because once you've got your time under control and you've got those extra 30 hours well what the <laughs> hell are you going to do with them you know I don't want you just spending another 30 hours on emails and vacuuming the house and making dinner for everybody you know so let's use that time let's set some really incredible goals go big goals go small goals go now goals and actually turn up and I make love it. happen and of course this isn't your first book at all is it I mean, when I first met you, you'd just no, written your first book. Five. five. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I know. I know, Jules. You've been there <laughs> right from the start. Wow. So that's amazing. All right. Well, um, what uh, what I'd like to do now, if you're up for it, is let's go right back to when you were a little girl and talk about how you got to where yeah. you are now. And I don't know this story, so I'm very mm-hmm. interested. And I know that we're very local to each other, and you've but you've been living here a lot longer than me. So I'm interested in this whole story. And then I've got some other questions, but but things will come out of this, I'm sure, anyway. So let's start off with what size was the family that you grew up with? Where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Okay, so we were a family of five. I've got an elder sister and Ooh, a younger sister, child. so I'm, I'm the middle <laughs> ch- middle child, yes. Um I grew up in Williamstown, so I'm looking out my window now and I can see my dad's house is four doors oh, away. Wow. Uh, that's where I grew up. Um, my kids are for, were fourth generation at the local primary wow. school. So, you know, we have we, we were Willie born yeah. and bred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my parent, both my parents were teachers. Oh, okay. My mum was a primary school teacher. Um, she taught little preppies and my dad was a university lecturer and academic. Okay. And um so he um, worked at Footscray Uni or Footscray Institute, it was called then. It's now Victoria University. And um, that enabled us to travel a lot because he was seconded overseas a number of times. And right. so we had this incredible, incredible travelling childhood, which was So was when amazing. you say incredible tra- travelling, was it within Australia? Was it overseas? What? No, overseas. So he, um, when I was eight, he had his first posting, um, you know, sabbatical over to um, England. And we were, we were, he worked there for eight months. So we went to school and, and then we traveled um, around Italy and France in an old, you know, bomb of a Volvo. God, so did we. (laughs) With towing a caravan. And, um, you know, it, you know, I had these phenomenal memories of that. And then when I was 15, we went for a second time and lived for 12 months 
in, and he was at Oxford University. So I went to school in, in Oxford. Gorgeous. And, um, and then he went for a third time, but I was sort of out and about of the home by then, but I was overseas, so I travelled a little bit right. with them. Um, so we had this beautiful, beautiful uh, cultural experiences from quite a young age, but we were, you know, they were poor. They were quite, you know, we weren't a wealthy family. You know, Weemstown's wealthy now because it's, it's But it is in the West. You know, yeah, dad, it's like uh, Balmain in Sydney. It's, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Dad... Dad, our family home is on the Esplanade right across the road from the beach. So he's phenomenally asset rich, but, you know, they, they never had any money. So we had these experiences where we were living overseas and, and travelling around in a caravan and it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was. I, I have such clear memories because when you live in England or we lived in Germany as well, just being able to travel, everything's so close and, and there were no seatbelts. Yeah. I just remember mum and dad putting four of us in the back of the <laughs> Volvo and driving for eight or 12 hours, you know, with us sloshing around in the back, exactly. rolling on top of each other. <laughs> so funny. That was us as well. We probably, you probably went past us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talk to me then a little bit about school. Did you enjoy school, particularly if you were moving around a little bit? Um, I I loved learning and I loved reading yeah. in particular. I didn't love school. I, I found it um, really hard to navigate the sort of the social requirements of school in terms of, you know, gangs and, well, girls, and um, yes. you know, the in-gang right. and girls. And and so I kind of always um, flitted around the, the, the gangs. I, I, I sort of had one close girlfriend for a couple of years, but then otherwise I just sort of was a bit of a floater because I just – um, I either I didn't understand the rules, or sometimes they I understood the rules and I wasn't prepared yeah, to play yeah, by them. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So I was that kind of floater person and got involved when I wanted to, but if I didn't, I'd just go, you know, read somewhere. So I guess I was a bit of a nerd, and that's, that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's very um, okay. My kids, my kids. My kids constantly tell me I would have been the nerdy dork at school, and yeah, well, maybe and I there's was. There's nothing wrong with you that. Know, look at me now, you little bastards. <laughs> exactly. So, when you finished school with parents who were teachers, was there just an expectation you'd go to uni? Um, it, look, I wouldn't call it an expectation. I think there was an encouragement. Right. Um, and there was – it wasn't a pressure in terms of you have to go to uni. It was more look how exciting uni is now going to be for you and the Aww. opportunities you have open to you. Um, so I was, you know, I was very smart um, at school. I worked hard. Um, I got great marks. So I actually wanted to be a journalist. And, wow, um, there's a turnaround for the books. <laughs> yeah, I, I – um, I, found this guy who was um, working for the age at the time and I was, you know, year 11, year 12 and I um, telephoned him and, and asked if I could come and have a coffee with him in the city and and um, and I said to him, well, how do, I, how do I do this? I want to be a journalist and how do I get a cadetship? And and um, at the time you could do journalism at RMIT and, and he said, no, don't do that. He said, go and get the best degree you can get based on whatever okay. your marks are. Finish the degree and then come to us as an older cadet, and that that will be a better process. So, Clever. you know, I was very diligent and I did what he said. So I, I got really great marks. So I did law, and I did straight wow. law, which was a four year degree. Um, and then I um, wanted to. I thought, well, I've done these, you know, four years. I, I really need to do my articles because otherwise, you know, I've got to get qualified because I at least say I was a lawyer. Now, let me so sorry, I'm just going to interrupt I you then, because not everybody knows, and I don't even really know. But articles are actually um, when you finish your degree, you've got to go and work for a law firm or something. Is that kind of how it works? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like an apprenticeship. It's it's on the okay. tools for yep. twelve months. Um, so you're paid, you know, an absolute pittance, <laughs> um, but you um, are um, 
there's one partner in the law firm that you're kind of assigned oh, okay. to and uh, you're articled to that person and they then, you know, you, you have to um, work for 12 months and have a variety of legal experiences and then at the end of that you're then admitted okay. um, and, and before in the Supreme Court. And um, so I wanted to go through that process because I wanted to sort of have a have the additional piece of paper, if yeah. you like, Um then I, 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 before I did the articles, though, I went overseas and did the sort of the obligatory, you Ooh, know, tell me 10 a bit about that. Where Europe. did you go? And did you go on your own? And what did you do? Um, I flew over on my own. Oh, that's um, brave of you. And I did you have yeah, a, is this yeah, back yeah. to yeah. England I, look, I, to go and see people you knew over there? Yeah, flew back to England. I, I did <laughs> spend some time with people I'd been to school with in in um in Oxford but I flew over look I don't I don't think it was I think it was brave of my parents like <laughs> you know we're talking you know pre-computers pre-mobile phones yes. you know you, we used to write aerograms <laughs> and you know if we could afford it you'd, you'd you know save up all your 20 cent pieces and phone home for someone's birthday and it was like quickly quickly the coins are going doink, 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 yeah. just dropping through the headset um, so I just think it was phenomenally brave of them because I was 20 and I, I just think now, you know, what the fuck <laughs> were they thinking letting me go? Um, they knew so, you were a smart girl with a good head um, on her shoulders. Yeah. So I met, I met a girlfriend over there who, who had been there for a few months working and we traveled all around Europe. So we did your classic, um, <clears throat> backpacking, URL pass, um, How amazing. you know, um, heaps and heaps of countries we we lived and worked in italy we went into poland and czechoslovakia and we were in berlin you know only 12 months after the war oh had come wow down and that would have been amazing was just, oh it was incredible jules um so loved that trip, loved everything about it um loved that my kids are now yes. doing that you know they're my my eldest did three months last year um, with his girlfriend, and my youngest is doing four months this year with Fantastic. a friend. So I just love that yep. they're, they're having, having that those experience. experiences. And what about you? How long did you yeah. go over for? Uh, ten ten months. I was okay. over. Um, so. And, you know, that was back in the day when it was, you know, I think it was Europe on $20 a day or something yeah. like that. And we just, you know, skimped and saved and, you know, you'd, you'd stay in the youth hostel and nick an extra couple of rolls so that <laughs> you could eat them for, for lunch, lunch the next and, day. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You know, we we just, we, we didn't do it on a huge budget but somehow managed to get really, really fat <laughs> just eating our way around Europe. How funny. <laughs> um, but. We did some amazing things. You know, it was incredible. It was it was really life in affirming and life informing. That and trip. that's probably what a part of your life list now has got to be those memories and thinking. I want more of them. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the life list. It's not just about travel and adventure. It's about relationships. It's around your health and your wealth and your money and giving and how can you be a service to others. So there's there's a whole kind of um, spectrum of things that I, I want my readers to set goals about. But of course, travel and adventure is huge. You know, I've just booked uh, to go to Bali for seven Ooh. weeks mid year. So. <laughs> the digital nomad visa. So, um, yeah. I'm digital nomading it and, um, you know, I can't wait. Oh, it's fantastic. going to be great. Escaping the Melbourne winter and, and you know, these are the goals that we, you know, we get to set now, yeah. Jules. You know, it's our turn. Yeah. And and so my kids are a bit older. They're not empty nesting just yet. Um, I'm, I'm encouraging them. Um, but I, I, they're certainly a lot more independent. They don't need me in the same way, so I, c I can go off and do some of this stuff now. Oh, I love it. Okay, so um, you decided to come back. <laughs> A lot of people don't, yeah, but I yeah, love yeah. it that you did, and, and that yeah. then you did your articles, is that right? And then what came next? I did my articles. So what came next? So then I thought, well, I thought, well, I've, I've done, now done my articles. Really, um, I, I should work for a year or two as a lawyer so that I can kind of prove to myself that I can. And so I sort of kept putting off this journalistic 
piece that I'd really wanted to do. And then I guess, you know, five, six years later, I'd sort of been sucked into this whole legal world and I hated it. <laughs> I hated being a lawyer. I can't tell you how many women um, I have interviewed in this series and that's probably 200. I reckon at least 60% of them are lawyers and every single one of them says that to me. <laughs> They get in and it's just like, no me. way, I don't want to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really, it, it's an area just imbued with conflict. Yeah. You know, you think about it, you're not ever doing very much that's for happy people, happy clients, happy outcomes. You know, best case scenario, you might get a win-win. Yeah, um, right. And I'm not just talking, you know, litigation, you know, everything is, is almost sort of dispute or conflict based, you know, employment law, you know, people are haggling over contracts or someone's been sexually harassed or bullied. And then you've got, you know, property disputes. And I guess there's mergers and acquisitions, which can, can probably be less. But yeah, I'd never thought uh, of it that way. Conflict based, yeah. but it's always just contentious and, and it just did not sit well with my vibe and my my values. Um, I found it really confronting to always be in situations where they were confrontational, yep. and and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I loved using my brain, and I I love what my law degree gave me, which is you know the ability to think differently, the ability to you know take a enormous amount of turgid information and distill it down to what's most important, the ability to to um, debate and negotiate and read really, and really dense texts. <laughs> all of that, all of that. You know, they're good skills yeah, they to are. have, but um, I didn't enjoy being a so, lawyer. So what do you do when you're a woman who spent five years studying to be a lawyer uh, who wants to be a journalist and you decide to leave law? What happened next? Well, I I was doing I, d- I was doing law for quite a while, and um, I was married. Oh, you did um, law I for a, so you I didn't like it, but you did it for a long time. Yeah, okay. well, I I well, I married pretty young as well. So Child I bride. I got I was married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was twenty four when Ooh. I got married. So, um, so I probably worked as a lawyer for probably at least ten years. I'd say oh, right. Um, and you know, it's not like I hated every moment of it, but I didn't love it, and it probably wasn't until I got out of it that I realised how yeah, much I didn't yeah. like it. As is often the case. And um, yeah, so I we were married, and um, I we wanted to start a family. And what did he do? Was he a lawyer it, as well? Yeah, yeah, he was a barrister. Okay. Um, and so we decided we wanted to have a family, and. Back then, you know, this is 20 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, um, law firms were just not family friendly. <laughs> they weren't particularly women friendly. Um, and so we made the decision and I made the decision that I would um, transition into a corporate role. Right. So I would go as a lawyer and work in the corporate world because that was going to be a lot more family friendly. So that's you like know, the in-house, at least in-house, in-house lawyer at in-house a big, law. okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I moved to Telstra and um, was working as an employment lawyer at Telstra and um, that was much better, much less confrontational, um, much more kind of uh, more of a business vibe and more of an operational vibe and and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, And then I had my three babies in three and a half years, which was psychotic. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that is a bit psychotic. Uh, (laughs) And was Telstra great about, because I have heard how great they can be, did you find that they were great um, at, you know, when you had babies or did you leave? (laughs) Three in three Um, years, mind you. Yeah, yeah. Look, they, given this was 20 years ago, they were pretty good. Um, I I think they're a lot, 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 lot better at it now. Um, But 20 years ago, they were pretty good. Well, 20 years ago, you got Um, nothing if you had kids other than you just had to stop your job. (laughs) Yeah. So I got, you know, they were were good for the times, really. I mean, I got paid, I got three months paid parental leave per child. Um, I was allowed to take 12 months off per child. Um, I came back in various iterations of part-time work. Um, So they were terrific in all of those respects. Um, Where they weren't great was um, the the sort of the idea that your career then was on hold, that you had to tread water until you came back full-time. So there was that. 
that sort of pressure or that understanding that your career was not going to advance whilst you were working part-time. Right. Um, but having said that, they were still a hell of a lot better than law firms where you couldn't even get the part-time work. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Um, so I, I was in and out, in and out. I mean, I came back from my first bout of maternity leave. I, I went back to work already pregnant with my second. <laughs> and you must have almost done that again if the next one was only another 18 months later. Almost, yeah, almost. Um, it took us a long time to fall pregnant with our first child right. so we just assumed it was going to be the same so we started you know early and it was like first bloody time it was like <laughs> oh my god what the hell um so yeah I worked part-time then for a number of years um whilst I was being the primary carer yeah. you know the, the main carer for the kids as is often the way it was, certainly was often the way back then um and you know had this phenomenal ongoing juggle and I, I look back now, Jules, and I just can't understand how I was able to do it. I must have. I think I must have almost killed well, I myself. Think, I think you're not alone there. I think there's a hell of a lot of women our age that probably think the same thing. But, I mean, having three mm. on top of each other so fast is extraordinary. I was. I, I decided to start a new business after I had twins that were about two weeks old. <laughs> the crazy things yeah. that we do and that we manage to get yeah. through, really we deserve a big pat on the back. So what made what prompted you to eventually leave? Uh, so I was um, – I'd moved out of law by that stage, so I'd taken an operational role in the, in the company. Oh, at Telstra. Which okay. I loved – yeah, yeah, and um, I was working for a fantastic. I was actually working directly to the COO, and um, loved it. Loved every second of it. He was incredible. Oh, fantastic! Uh, he was very progressive, um, as compared to some of the others. That, <laughs> you know, people of that genre. You know, that yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and he really pushed and promoted me, and and positioned me into this fantastic role, which, again, I was loving, really enjoying it. Um, it, The issue was there was a sort of an all, all of my peers were were males. Um, I was a senior executive at this point in time um, and there were just behaviours in that leadership team uh, that were not uh, female-friendly. They you are being so friendly. good. I can tell you were a lawyer. Are you saying that there were a whole lot of bullies and assholes in there? <laughs> oh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> yeah, so ultimately the behaviours were just became incredibly inappropriate and I forced you to um, leave. opted out. And the HR yeah, department didn't yeah, step I, in? Oh, they did afterwards <laughs> okay. um, after it all became an issue. But... Um, by then you decided you had to get out of there. By then I'd already opted out in, in my mind from the perspective that a lot of people knew what was going on, a lot of people knew what was happening and I just didn't feel that I had that support yeah. that I deserved. And um, the the outcome, the, the ultimate outcome was that they really sorted it out and they cleaned house and the people who were behaving poorly were exited from the organisation, oh, um, which was terrific and um, I really respected the organisation for that decision. Um, But ultimately I guess I was collateral damage because the process was just um, awful. Yeah. And um, I was left really um, obviously a little bit jaded but also really kind of burnt out Um, and and seriously sort of, you know, I, I, I went to the supermarket in my sunglasses for like six months and, you know, just sort of hid away from it because it was just um, such a confronting period of time oh, for me. Oh, that sounds awful, Kate. Mm, it was it was awful. Um, it was really awful. Um, but, you know, I look back on it, Jules, and it was one of those sliding door moments where I, I could have continued on in that corporate role and had a brilliant career with what was a brilliant company and still is. Yeah. Um, or I then had the opportunity to kind of create something for myself and that's when I started my first business. Right. And so, you know, I look back on that. I think, you know, you've got to look back on some of these, you know, where everyone's got a backstory, yes, right, absolutely. And, and the important thing is to find the gift out of it and not – be sort of subsumed or consumed by yeah, totally. the bitterness. Yep. And, and so I, I genuinely see that that was a gift because um, it made me create my first business 
And, you know, I haven't stopped since then and I'm now my own boss and I do what I love and I get to work with people I love and I charge what I'm worth. And um, I then had the flexibility to work around my kids. And and so there was only positive things that then came from me leaving. And and it's I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the questions I like to ask in this is, has there been a pivotal moment? And it's the challenges rather than the successes that we learn so much from. And, uh, and that's just such a good example. I mean, I can think of terrible things that have happened in my life, but they've sent me in a direction that's been the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So I'm, exactly. I'm absolutely delighted. You. So what was the first business? What was the, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to set something up. What did you decide to do? Yeah. So the first business uh, was an online portal connecting busy people, predominantly women, with home helpers, so babysitters, cleaners, um, elder carers, dog walkers. It was kind of a business for, I think, like anybody who starts a business, we often are solving for a problem we've had ourselves. And as a a busy corporate woman, you know, I needed the babysitters and the cleaners and the helpers. So um, it it was that was what I built the business around um, with with my with a friend. Um, we went into that business together, um, and it was really hard work. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we had these incredibly um, um, inflated ideas of how successful it was all going to be, and and it was really hard work. Hard work. You know, yep. we just hustled and hustled and hustled, and. Um, But what it was, and I've I've since discussed this a lot, you know, I think you're like me, Jules, we're kind of business tragics and we love talking. (laughs) I've discussed it a lot with other businesswomen and um, there seems to be this general general consensus that it's almost like you've got to fail in your first business to have a, a very successful subsequent businesses. You've got to learn those lessons and know when to. it's time to opt out and, and you know, down tools. Um, but I was able to take everything I learned from that business into then creating a very, very successful second business. And a lot of other women I've spoken to um, say the same thing, that their first business wasn't successful but their second or third. Yes, became, you know, the very successful one because we, we apply those learnings and I think that's something that we're really good at as women is and analysing and, and learning from our mistakes and, and pivoting and changing and, and making sure we then leverage the bits that we're working to create something more successful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and uh, and the other thing that women are very good about, I think, is talking with their friends, other people who've gone through it. We don't hide yeah. it. You know, so yeah. I, I mean, and, and of course, this is a broad generalization, but I do think that whereas maybe men don't like to show that weakness, I think women are better at it. And so we'll say, yes, I tried that yeah. and that and I had an absolute failure. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough at the moment. Um, okay. So then after you, so how long did you run the babysitting and cleaning business for? Uh, I think we did that for about. We did it together for about three oh, years, that's not bad. and then um, yeah, and then I bought my partner out. She she wanted she stayed um, in the corporate world the whole time, so oh, right. she okay. wanted to then stay, go back and just do her corporate work full time. Real money, so you I mean? Bought, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I bought her out of the business, right. and um, then really sort of not so long after that or sort of during that time when she was thinking of getting out, I went and did some more study um, and um, did a program, a 12-month program, which was almost like a mini MBA for your business ah, in terms I of learning, I know what this you know, was. how to do PR and how to um, uh, write a book and how to um, – create partnerships and and I did that program and from that um I had the realization that what we were doing with the babysitting business wasn't finding someone a nanny or a cleaner we were actually finding them time 
in ah, freedom. Ah, so that's savage. The I see now joining all so the dots. So that's how Time Stylers was then born because you know I remember sitting in this program and we we had to talk about our IP. You know, what's your intellectual property? What were you just born with? And and I was sort of talking a little bit about the things I I do for myself to be organised and nothing to do with business, just my life. Yeah, and. The people on the table were just fascinated. They're like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. You know, this is gold. Oh. You know? and, it, and I'm just like, well, shit, everyone knows this stuff. And they're like, no, no, we don't. You know, tell us more. How do you set up your calendar and how do you do this? And, and I'm right. like, oh, do this, do this, do this. And it wasn't that until then, you know, in my 40s that I realized that I had this phenomenal resource, this intellectual property, this natural intellect and talent around time and um that was where i then pivoted and created time stylers fantastic and so why a book because that was one was that the first thing that you did was it a book or did you consult first um so i was um i think gosh good question i think that i was doing a little bit of consulting a little bit of I was actually, I was consulting to um, a HR, a guy who ran a HR firm and because I've always been really good at writing, he was getting me to do all the writing of the annual reports and um, the governance statements for his Ooh. clients because I'd worked as a lawyer and in the company secretary's office and so I was doing all this writing whilst I was trying to get time stylers up and running and part of one of the pillars of the the 12 month program I did was that you had to write a book because you had to establish your authority in your space. And so I wrote my first book, which was called Me Time. And it was very much targeted at professional women with small children in terms of how to juggle work and life yeah. um, with kind of all the lessons that I had learned for myself. And, um, you know, the idea was to sort of stamp myself as an authority in this space. And um, the book just took off. It became a bestseller. Wow. And I was just like, what What the fuck? You know, <laughs> oh, my God, you know. And I had, you know, all this publicity. And then from that I got speaking engagements. And from that I picked up clients. And then I got more speaking engagements. And I started coaching people. And then, you know, it very quickly pivoted into um, companies then asking me to come in and run workshops for their teams, men and women, around productivity and time management. And so obviously I then invested a lot of time in my own learnings and education and I have my own coach and I've always done that yeah. um, because we need to invest in ourselves. And, um, and and it really just skyrocketed from there, Jules. I love this. I love it that you're telling us sort of how it's how it kind of grew as well. So the next thing, because I'm I'm in the picture now, so I have a vague idea of what was going on, was that you incredibly cleverly, I thought, and I think this was the second book, decided to target doctors. Was that the second one or the third one? Yeah, yeah, that was the second Which one. Which I thought so- was so clever because uh, having a father who's a doctor, I knew that there's all those medical conferences, they're always looking for learnings, and yet I've never heard of anyone targeting them around time. And that's obviously something yeah. they don't have a lot of. Yeah, exactly. Look, that was um, that was a very, very interesting and hard business lesson for me, that book. Oh, okay. Um, because I was – it's probably one of my biggest business lessons of all time. Oh, wow. Um, I was – at the time I was coaching um, a, a surgeon um, out of – uh, Sydney, and he's like this incredible, fantastic man. Um, like a, I can't. He was a spinal surgeon or something like something, something really. Yeah, there's only specialist, something phenomenal, and there was only like one of him in the world kind of thing. And I was taking him through this process that I developed around this framework for you know getting your time back, and he just loved it. And he's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." every doctor needs to do this. And he said, I am going to back you, write the book, I will pay for it all, Um, I'll help you promote it, everyone's going to want it, every doctor on earth is going to want it and you're going to get invited to all these speaking engagements. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, fantastic. And so off I went and wrote this book and we put it out and um, I just got absolutely crucified by 
middle-aged white doctors, males. <gasps> really? Um, I didn't know that. Crucified. Um, Why? In terms who of the who, hell do you who, think you are? Who the hell do you think you are? Oh you have God. no medical qualifications. How? Who are you to tell us how to manage our time? Um, really Horrible. scathing. And I was just like, shit, and I just ran and, you know, hid under my doona. Um, but a couple of huge lessons for me out of that. The first one was, you know, never make a big dis- business decision based on a, um, you know, a, a pool of one person telling you how awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. you are. <laughs> um, secondly, um, you know, grow up, um, pull your pants up and go out and challenge that level of criticism. And I didn't. I ran and hid from it. Right. And, um, you know, I look back now and I should have just gone out and said, well, what the hell? You know, I'm a time management expert. I don't, exactly. I could, I, be, I could be giving advice to NASA on how to invest their time. That doesn't mean I have to be an astronaut. No, um, but, but doctors I, I, are very know, good at putting people down and they work with a lot of women, unfortunately, oh. for the nurses around them, where they are very used to being patronising and they are very used to saying, I am the god in in the room, who the hell do you think you are? Yeah, you know, and, in a and nice that's, way. that's exactly <laughs> how it played out, and it wasn't nice at all. But right. um, so, what you do next? Really, oh no, go on, tell me. Well, what what's interests the me though, Jules, is you know you get royalty checks when you obviously you write a book and the royalties come in, and that I consistently get really great royalties from that book, and typically really? out of America. Yeah, so there's doctors in America buying that book. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who and, have now and looked so, you up and gone, oh, she's a, she actually really is this huge expert. Now we'll stop patronising her. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, so from there I I just did a lot more, um, you know, a, a lot more consulting and um, I then got invited to speak at a female entrepreneurial conference in London, which was huge Ooh, for me that. because That's it right. was, you know, it's, a big international thing and they were going to fly me over and it was just holy shit, you know, this was huge. So I then thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, use my time in London. I had two weeks booked and I'm going to reach out to a whole heap of really awesome female entrepreneurs um, via LinkedIn and just say, hey, this is who I am. I'm this Australian time management expert. I'm going to do an updated version of me time. Um, and I want to interview you to find out how you manage it all and how you do the juggle. And I think I sent out 40 unsolicited cold requests via LinkedIn and I got about 15 yeses back. And so when I was in London, I then went and interviewed these women and they were incredible and, and just the most engaging, smart wonderful women across a broad range of, of businesses and 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 I, I, you know, I remember being completely jet-lagged and interviewing these women and just thinking, God, this, this, this is a waste for me to do an updated version of Me Time. There's a whole new book in this. Right. And so from it I then came home and I then reached out to people in Australia and I reached out to people across Asia and India and and interviewed them and that became my third book, which was um, Smart Time Investment for Business, um, 128 Ways the Best in Business Use Their Time. And it's, you know, it's 128 tips. And then it's interwoven with these stories from these brilliant British entrepreneurial women plus others around the world, men as yeah. well, you know, because by the time I thought I'm going to do a different take on this book and that that book was brilliant because that then um, gave, gave me a little bit more cred and authority in the sort of the corporate space. So then I had a lot more bigger businesses um, wanting me to coach them and okay. their staff on productivity at work. Um, so that was my third book. Right. Um, and then <coughs> just be the year before COVID, so to 2019 we're now at and I'm tracking along doing all of that and, um, can, you know, sort of getting media here and there. And um, I was invited to by Claire Hooper to um, be a guest on her Pineapple 
Project podcast, which is she's by a comedian, the Australian co- comedian, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And she was doing a, a podcast series, and and she invited me on, and um, I did a productivity talk, and it went, it was great, and it was wonderful. And then I got this email after that from Wiley, um, the publishing house, saying, "Hey, you know, I heard you on this podcast. Love to have a chat." And have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'm like, well, I've written four. <laughs> I've written yeah. three. Um, and so they said, look, we want to we want to publish you. And up until then, my my first three books were self published. You know, I'd I'd done them, um, paid for them, and and done it all myself. Um, yeah. Even the one for the doctors, because I was so horrified after all that occurred that I wouldn't take any money from my client. I, I paid for <laughs> it all myself. And um, and I thought. You know, and it was always, it wasn't sort of, the reason why I wrote those books was because it was just a business card on steroids. I wasn't looking to sell thousands and thousands of copies um, through bookstores. It was really so that if I was going for a speaking engagement or if I was after a client, I'd go and pitch them and I'd give them my books and that just had huge credibility value. Right. Um, So then by being approached by Wiley, I thought, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose here because they're going to pay for everything. Um, I I won't get the full value of the books that are sold through, say, distribution channels, but I can still sell them at my speaking engagements, which was what I was doing anyway. And also gives you that additional credibility that I often talk about with PR, that so many people self-publish that a lot, it's certainly in the media, there is no there's no there's no gatekeeper that is editing these books to check that there's any quality and so yeah. the fact that you were writing such high quality books is fantastic but there's a heap of people that weren't so then to have Wiley published it it's like PR it's like that third party exactly. endorsement Exactly. And um, so I thought, well, I'm just going to give it a go. And and so they wanted um, a, a new edition of Me, Me Time. Um, so I did that, but it was a much, it was more, it, there was so much new content in it that we then, they said, look, this is actually a new book. Um, so that then became Me First, which was my, uh, my fourth book. Which was a huge um, success, wasn't it? It was hugely successful. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really, you know, you, you, you sort of see, you know, New York Times bestseller or, you know, Scott Pape, Barefoot Investor, sold a million copies of his book. And, and I just marvel at that. Um, it's so hard to sell a book, Jules. Well, um, well, I know. Well, let's tell everybody because I think a lot of people think that in Australia, you know, we sell – Hundreds of thousands of books, but actually, a bestseller is about five thousand copies, isn't it? Yeah, just over and that's 4, a bestseller. Yeah, it's a bestseller. It's so phenomenally hard. Um, yeah. So, me first has to date has sold over ten thousand copies. Stop um, it. Yeah, oh my which God, I'm that's very, brilliant. very proud of. I know, I know. You and, should be. And some people might think, oh, oh, geez, is that all? But that's ten thousand different people buying uh, yes. your book. Um, Imagine them in a stadium. That's what I say. Every yeah, once in a while, when I, I, every once in a while, when I think, "Oh my gosh, I haven't really got very many people on my database," I'm like, "Oh my god, imagine if they were in a hall and I had to meet them all. There'd be loads of them." Exactly, exactly. So, um, so me first has continues to sell well. It sold really well in the states. I picked up. Um, Target US bought bought it, and um, oh, that wow. was that was that was a big game a changer. Big. Yeah, yeah. So that was there. There those four, and then book number five is being published through Wiley again, um, and, and we'll be you know, out soon. Be out very soon, and fingers crossed. So when is it due to come out? Because I'm going to try and time this podcast to come out around the same time. But just let everybody know in case they're listening when it comes out. So is- it comes out. So it's available for pre-sale now. It comes out on the 29th of March this this wow, year. Wow. Okay. Very yeah, soon. So it's Ooh, soon. Yeah, it's really soon. And um, I've got a special promotion with it at the moment. So anybody who buys uh, four copies um, for their besties. Think of your four best girlfriends, um, and if they email me the receipt, then I'm going to send them a limited edition signed and numbered copy. Oh, brilliant. Oh, Kate, I'm so excited for you. Now, I've got a couple of other questions. We've actually yes, not yes. got very much longer, but I have to ask you because I happen to know that you have got a posse of women supporting you. Um, <laughs> are there any women who've helped you along the way or who are your little group of supporters that you've got these days? Yeah, so, look, I've got three 
Well, I've got three women who are in my accountability group, so there's four of us. Um, so big shout out to Katrina, Sam, and Anushka. Um, yes. We meet monthly uh, for we meet two hours one month, four hours the alternating month. Okay. Um, and we dissect our businesses, and we have an equal amount of time. We set each other goals. We keep each other accountable. We meet for anywhere between two and four days. Uh, every October, November, and we spend hours pulling apart our businesses and setting up our next 12 months. Um, and I've been doing that with that with them for years. Um, then I've, uh, you know, the other very important women in my life um, are three, my, my older sister, Lisa, yes. uh, my younger sister, Emma, and my daughter, Peggy, and they're all um, my biggest supporters. Um, I swim with my two sisters every single morning. So we can, and, and just in case anyone, if anyone didn't get this, we live in Melbourne, uh, and we're not, we're talking about winter where it's one degree, and she's still getting in the water with her sisters. <laughs> Pretty amazing. It is. And look, they're incredible. And look, you know, at any on any given day, one of us is having a meltdown or a crisis or someone's child's done something stupid or, you know, something's happening. And we'll, we'll walk into the water and invariably one of us is crying and having a breakdown. And on the way out, we're all howling with laughter. Oh, that's um, brilliant. We swear like, you know, Troopers. You know, sailors, like troopers. Whoever swears a lot, there are. Yeah. Um, and it's just good food for my soul, Jules. Oh, I love it. Okay. And I have to ask, as you are such a time and productivity expert, my next question that I ask everyone is how do you do the juggle between a business that you absolutely love and you obviously do love it and giving yourself time out to make sure you don't get burnout? Because of all the women that I've interviewed, there are way too many that have pushed themselves so far they've ended up having to take, you know, change their career or spend a year in bed, like really awful things. Yeah, so how yeah. are you doing that juggle or how do, I don't know whether you want to do that or how you recommend it, but how yeah. do you separate work and life? Look, I've been always, been really really conscious of this um partly because i i'm in time and so yes. i get it um, partly because when i left that corporate world i did have that period of of recovery that i needed oh, to did have you? um so you know these days i'm very very strict with my boundaries i i've you know i've i worked uh, i've worked hard to understand what it is i most value in my life and that, that comes down to three things i most value my kids I most value my business and I most value my health and well-being. And I build my day, my week, my month, my year around those three things. So wow. everything else is a no. It's a right. very simple no. If it's not for my kids, if it's not for my business, it's not for my health and well-being, which is pretty broad. I get that. Yeah, I get to nice do, and get loose. To do a lot. Um, then, it, then it's a straight-up no, and I've become very, very good at saying no. Um, the other thing is I've structured my time so that um, Mondays and Fridays are not client-facing, so I may or may not work on those days um, right. depending on how much of a load I have. But generally speaking, they're days for me, so I have a four-day weekend. Um, and so I only work Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays in a customer-facing capacity. And um, the third thing that I do is I've structured my day and my time so that I'm doing all my really hard, impactful, high-value, revenue-generating work in the mornings. And then in the afternoons, it's much more loosey-goosey, kind of lower-value process-driven work. And it just allows me to manage my energy. And I, I guess really the idea. final thing is that I sleep a lot. I love, <laughs> I love sleep. <laughs> that is, well, they say that sleep is is where you get all, all that rejuvenation in your body. Well, Kate, this has just been fantastic. I loved hearing your story. You're such an amazing woman. And I really can't even begin to imagine where you're going to be five years from now with, with what you've already achieved, other than mm. I can be bloody sure that you'll be, you'll have had a great life and that you'll be yeah. ticking things off your life list as you I, go. I will. And you know what? I'll be saying, Jules, let's go get, have some hollandaise and some eggs and we'll be meeting somewhere in the world having, <laughs> yeah, having I'll breakfast I'll come and join together. you in Bali or Paris or something. Yeah, um, nice. Okay, so uh, what, if somebody would like you to speak for them, they would like copies of your book, what is the best way for people to get hold of you? Uh, so uh, my new website is about to be launched. It's katechristie.com.au. Uh, um, Fantastic. Or just email me at kc at katechristie.com.au. Um, Brilliant. Or the case notes or the show notes, I'm sure they'll have the details, but just reach out to me via my website or email me direct. 
All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for giving your time and telling me all these great stories. I really, (laughs) really enjoyed it. I can't wait to share this. Thanks, Jules. It was really lovely to share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. 